We say good morning, church, again. Yes, it is. What a blessing as we uh, get ready to turn to God's Word. Why don't we open up our Bibles? Sounds like a good thing to do, doesn't it? Open up to the Scripture. That's the best thing we can do. Let's see what God has to say today. We are in Mark 9. Mark chapter 9, we're uh, starting at verse 14, going through 32. A rather long text today. Big chunk, right? See what we can do with that big chunk. Can I make it through all of it? We're going to read it. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, What are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the Spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. From there they went out and began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. When he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement. And they were afraid to ask Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, Your truth, Your Holy Spirit. And as we go into Your Word again, we ask that You give everyone here a blessing, a blessing of Your Word, and that it would make us desire to trust in You more, to have the kind of faith, that little mustard seed that You've given, that would be confident in everything that you do by your will. And so remove from me my own self and let your word speak here today and empower us. In Jesus' name, amen. A lot of people here are artists, like to paint, do different things. There's a painting by Raphael. Anybody heard of Raphael? A classic artist, painter. At this painting, it was considered to be his greatest work. 
It's called the Transfiguration. And if you remember, we were on the Transfiguration last week. That's where we were at. We were up on a high mountain. That's where we were at. Good place to be, isn't it? Well, the uppermost part of this picture that Raphael has is the transfiguration of Jesus in all His glory there. And also, along with Him, Elijah and Moses. What a scene that is on that part right there. On the next level, then you have the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. You have the rock and the sons of thunder. (laughs) Just those three. Along with Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. On the ground level is this poor demon-possessed boy and his mouth just gaping and he's being beat up and all the wild ravings here. The enemy is taking possession of his body and you have a desperate father there. So desperate. Loves his son so much and he doesn't know what to do. And then you have the rest of the disciples there, the other nine. And they're all pointing upward as Jesus is coming down in that figure and Jesus is the only answer for this boy. There is no other help that he can get. It's been tried. Now, Raphael captured what was happening at this transfiguration and the overwhelming contrast between the very glory of God up on the Mount of Transfiguration and then this troubled world waiting below. <laughs> and that's where we're at. We're in this troubled world stirred up by sin. Satan, all the enemy. The world is being dominated by this enemy. Uh, Satan. And uh, of course our flesh just takes that on in. And so when you think about it, what a what a change it is going from the mountain now to this valley. So on the next day, as it says in one of the other Gospels, Peter, James, and John, you can imagine, as they're coming down the mountain, their feet are scarcely being kept on the ground. I mean, <laughs> these guys are just overwhelmed by this. And they're talking about all the things that has just happened and because uh, Elijah was there, they're thinking, is this the time of Elijah? And of course, they ask that question. And uh, I mean, you have the preeminent lawgiver and Moses. You have this great foremost prophet of Israel. Uh, these guys have been gone for 700 to 1,400 years. And then the voice of God the Father had been there. <laughs> Who would want to come back down <laughs> to this sinful world? And so, but they are really stoked of where they have been. You know, everything's going to happen really good for them, right? You know, the sons of thunder, Peter, they're excited. They can't wait. You know, let's go, let's go. And so, what we're going to see here today is learning to trust in Christ. Now, they've seen things, right? They've seen Jesus uh, really for about the three years here now as they have ministered with Him. And there is somewhat of faith they have, but it's minuscule. He's been around. We live by faith and not by sight. Well, they see Him. And they just saw the most glorious thing they'd ever seen in their lives. Kind of put yourself there. You've seen something so spectacular that you'll never forget. It's something that you've never seen like this before. 
And Jesus is now going to teach them even more that they're going to have to take everything by faith. Jesus is not going to be with them forever here, right here on earth. He'll be with them and the Holy Spirit will come with them, but at the same time, He's not going to be visible like uh, He was, like He is at the moment. The thing is, they don't get it. They haven't gotten it yet. They still don't get it. They get a few things that they don't quite understand. They don't understand the suffering and the death. And that's the very last couple of verses that we read. They don't get that. Jesus already told them about that. And so that's what our text is focusing on today, this lesson of faith. We don't see Jesus. We live by faith of the Son of God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So we believe, we live by faith. Faith is the dominating feature of the Christian. That's how we live. We live by faith. Disciples had everything in their sight, remember. And Jesus is getting ready. He's getting ready for His death, burial, resurrection, then ascension. He has a lot more things to teach them. And faith is something they'll have to be able to get. He was not always going to be in their presence visibly. So we trust in a God we have never seen. We've never seen. We trust in the Son of God who we have never seen. We trust in the Holy Spirit we've never seen. We embrace the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the second coming, the glorious kingdom. We embrace all of that, don't we? We've never seen that. And we look to that fulfillment. The glorious day, we sing that song. Glorious fulfillment will happen in that uh, eternal heaven, which we have not seen. (laughs) We haven't seen visibly these things. We live by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. That's not yourselves. It's a gift of God. Faith is granted to us. We can't even drum it up in our own selves. This faith was given to us. What a link we have to the heavens. We believe, but we don't see. The evidence for our faith. What anchors our faith is the Scripture, the Word of God. This is our anchor. Is our faith perfect? No. It's imperfect, yes. Right? Is it weak? Yes. Does it vacillate? Yeah. Does it waver? Yeah. Does it doubt? A little mixture of doubt? A little bit of unbelief there? Yeah. I can have it. It does. Help my unbelief, right? What a statement. I think we've all probably have uh, used that statement. Is our faith sufficient? Yes. It is sufficient. No matter how weak it may seem at times, it is sufficient if we have Christ. Now, we're going to get a lesson on this faith. You guys ready? Let's jump into verse 14. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, some scribes arguing with them. This is interesting. Peter the Rock, the Sons of Thunder, they've been on the top of the mountain. They're at ground level now. This is the real life. And they're facing the results of demonic powers. Imagine that. 
look at these contrasts of where they've been and, and showing the difference between glory and, and this sin-infested world. What a contrast it is. The transfiguration happens on a mountain. This happens in the valley below. What we're talking about here. The transfiguration, there is glory. What do we have here? Suffering. Transfiguration. Totally dominated that scene that we looked at. But here in this scene, we have Satan dominating it. Uh, the, the demon. And the whole crowd is seeing what's going on. And this young man, what he's had to go through. And the earthly father. We have, a, we have the heavenly father that we heard up on the Mount of Transfiguration. The father is pleased there in his son, isn't he? But here we have a father who is tortured because of his, what his son's going to have to go is going through has been going through for years in the transfiguration there is that glorious perfect son and here down below we have the son of this one father who is wailing around being beaten by the enemy satan literally uh, he's been perverted a perverted son and in the uh, transfiguration you have holy men. Holy wonder and all that you have and the glorious great Jesus Christ there. And in this story, you have a fallen son in a terror. Unholy. Look at the contrast. My. So, they came to the disciples. They saw this large crowd. Interesting, isn't it? They come down. All of a sudden, they see an immense number of people. Who knows? Again, we, we just see that constantly. I don't have to harp on it too much, do I? Almost every week, we talk about the large crowd. It wasn't up there on the Mount of Transfiguration, but here, the realism happens. And you have the teachers of the law arguing with the disciples. Now, that's interesting. What a scene it is. So here comes Jesus. Here comes the three. And you have an argument going on. Amongst this, and the, and the crowd is, is watching this. So, where Jesus usually was were the scribes coming along behind him somewhere along the line, and they're, they're going to see what's happening, and they're, they're going to give him some hassle somewhere along the line. Well, this time, Jesus hasn't been there. And, and the crowd knows the disciples have done healing, so they have gathered. They don't know that Jesus is even coming back at that time. And that's one reason why we would see that uh, you know they're amazed, as it says in verse 15. Scribes are arguing with the disciples. They have a lot better chance with the disciples. Because every time they get with Jesus and they challenge Him with a thing that they have, what happens? Jesus just shuts them down. You don't argue with Jesus. But they've got the nine disciples. They can take care of these guys. Disciples are getting flustered, I'm sure. They're... <laughs> They're no match for these men of the law. Not yet, anyway. Disciples, they're alone without, without Jesus. They get attacked. They're being mocked. Probably being ridiculed. They're probably arguing over the fact that they couldn't cast the demon out of the boy. And everybody has seen that. The crowd, and of course this father. And uh, so, I'm sure that... They're telling them, "Hey, we uh, we know you couldn't do it. You can't. You know you don't have that kind of power." And I'm sure they're making fun of their master, Jesus. They're telling 
the disciples, they're, they're all phonies. So is Jesus. Who do you think you are? You don't. You're nobody. They had failed to cast out the demon. So it says in 15, immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed. Uh, We run into that kind of word quite frequently. They start running up to him. They're running up to him. I mean, a whole crowd. Can you see a crowd running? Just, Just focus on that for a moment. This is, this is something. They know Jesus. They, they, they recognize Him. There He is. They, they're amazed for one thing because He hasn't been there and all of a sudden He is. Oh, wow. And now they can see um, maybe some, some healings and, and just be uh, healed uh, themselves or bringing other people with them. And I want you to notice that word amazed, that word amazed is, is very intensive. Very intensive Greek word, and it really means that they were, I'll magnify it, greatly amazed. Uh, Okay, put it like this. Imagine a teenager seeing their favorite movie star, all giddy and everything. You remember the Elvis Presley days? You know, they just, or the Beatles, remember those days? Do kids still do that? Yeah, probably so. Rock stars, right? You betcha. You know they're amazed. That's the kind of word that we're talking about. These these people are giddy when Jesus shows up. They're you know and and well they should in some senses. But what's what's the attraction? The attraction is what he can do for them. He's a Santa Claus type Jesus. You know, whatever we can get out of him, that's what they want. But you have a boy here that's possessed. This is a serious thing. So Jesus asked the question. Come to the question. Question. What is it? Jesus asked a question. Verse 16. What are you discussing with them? What, what, are, you, what are you saying here? What's going on? What are you arguing about? What are you debating about? Well, the scribes are certainly not going to say anything. <laughs> They've been arguing with His disciples. They don't say a thing. But you notice the disciples don't say anything either. I think they're maybe somewhat embarrassed. Possibly. They didn't get the job done. They had done it before. They didn't do it this time. What's going on? And they've been scorned by the scribes probably. And who knows, even from the crowd, they're probably saying, see, yeah, you can't do it. You know, you guys probably have faked all those other ones. You're not really real. And there's a man out of the crowd, out of nowhere, answers the question. Scribes don't answer. Disciples don't answer. And he's saying, what are you guys arguing about? What, what's, what's the deal? And this man comes up and says, I can tell you. I'll tell you exactly what it is. Verse 17, one of the crowd answered him. See, there's the answer. Jesus has the question. The man has the answer. Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. Okay, there's, there's the distraught father here. And he answers. He actually got on his knees and begged Jesus. He can say, well, I don't see that here. Well, we'll have to turn to some of the other Gospels. There's a couple other ones. 
Matthew and Luke. And so we'll be going back and forth to these other Gospels that give the uh, rest of the story. None of them are wrong. They're all right. As we put them together, we go, wow, this is what's going on. Here he calls him teacher. We'll see what else he does. Matthew 17. Matthew 17 is the chapter that I can always think of that has the transfiguration. And right after that is this story right here. Look at verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son. Now he calls him, teach rabbi, Lord. It's both of those words. Matter of fact, it, Matthew doesn't tell about the argument that's going on. He just says this man comes up, right? You put them together, you get the get the story. So it's it's good to have parallels sometimes if you're especially if you're studying. So he's he's falling on his knees and he's calling him master. Uh, he's ca- uh, teacher. He's calling him uh, Lord, right? And then he's saying, "Have mercy." On me. Let's look at Luke. Luke, Luke. This is Luke 9. So we have Mark 9 and Luke 9. Verse 37. And Luke tells us something that this is the next day. I might have said that earlier on the word. It doesn't say it in Matthew, wasn't it the same day? On the ne- remember it was a long way. How many nine thousand feet up on that mountain? Uh, you just don't get down there in about ten minutes. Probably a bit easier coming down than it was going up. But this is going to take a while. On the next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him, and a man from the crowd shouted. There we have something. He's bowing down or falling on his knees. He's shouting. He says, Teacher, I beg you. There's the begging. I think that's saying something. I'm saying there's a little bit of faith here with this man that he would come begging. He's in front of a whole crowd of people. And he gets on his knees. He begs, Teacher. And he calls him Teacher here. I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only boy. My only one. And then he goes on and tells what's happening. His spirit sees him and he suddenly screams and throws him into convulsion with foaming at the mouth and only with difficulty does it leave him, mauling him as it leaves. I begged your disciples to cast it out and they could not. There we go. So those three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, give us a pretty good story there, don't they? They give us the full eyewitness as much as we need. So, distraught father, comes to Jesus, comes to him in humility, and there's a big crowd, and I think that's why he's shouting. You have a big crowd, no matter how quiet they may be, it can still be kind of loud, can it? And it's outdoors, so people are talking, and they're saying, there he is, there he is, and people are running, and then here you have this man come, coming shouting, falling down, begging, calling him Lord, Teacher, and uh, so there's a lot of things going on. It's a noisy time. Uh, father here of this son has some faith in God. He knows the power of Christ. He has probably seen this happen or heard about him. He's very reverent before him, isn't he? Uh, and he's not afraid to tell the story. What's going? On. That's my son. Everybody is seeing this. Some people would be embarrassed, and he tells him. Who he is? He says, "I brought my son here that 
He could get delivered from this demonic thing that's happening to him. And your disciples couldn't do anything. You weren't here. They they tried and tried. They did. They really tried. Nothing happened. The boy could not speak. He could not hear. He screamed, though. That's whenever the demon took over. Yeah, there's your screaming. He was thrown to the ground, thrown to the ground, foaming at his mouth. You know, we, we've heard this story or probably read it many times before, but get the graphic meaning of this and how what a scene this must have been. And I'm sure some people are saying, get that boy away. Get him away from Jesus. We have other important people here. You know, I mean, this is, this is a horrible sight. This is not pretty at all. He's grinding his teeth. And then he became stiff as a board. Like he died. And, and of course, one of the accounts says that um, the enemy then would throw him into the fire and into the water. And you can imagine the scars that are on this young man because of the fire. Because, you can imagine all the bruises and all the damage done to him physically. You remember earlier that we uh, saw another man or actually where there were two, that demoniac, and uh, he was powerful. Nobody messed with him. But Jesus delivered him out of that, didn't He? And we have something very much like that. So this young man, he's beat up, he's battered. This has been ongoing for years. Years! What would you do if you had a child that is now growing up and he's gone through this kind of stuff for years? He's still living. Demons tried to actually kill him. They, they love to control bodies. And at this time of Christ, it was rampant. He constantly ran into demon-possessed people. Well, this is a special case. This is worse than most of the other ones. What's happening? So we just don't want to take things for granted here. Matthew 17, um, his father calls him a lunatic, which means he's crazy. He's nuts. Moonstruck. Lunatic. Well, that's the best they can come up with. They don't call him uh, demonically possessed. Some people might have thought of that, but the best that they know is that he's he's just a crazy boy. He's nuts. That's just the way he is. So this demon periodically would just control this this boy and make him scream and then slam him to the ground as much as he could possibly take. In Luke 9.39, in that... Other account, Luke 9.39, a spirit sees him and suddenly screams and it throws him into convulsion with foaming at the mouth and only with difficulty does it leave on him, mauling him. Uh, the word there is soon treble. It means to actually crush or just maul this boy. Happened a lot. The poor boy is really getting blasted. And the man knows that Jesus has a reputation of casting out demons. And here's what the satanic world does. It likes to take the image of God. Everybody has the image of God in them somehow. But, of course, as 
we as Christians are being formed to the very image of Christ now. But even when people are born, I mean, they have they have an intelligence, they have uh, a mind, uh, they have emotions, will. There's there's even despite the fact of what sin had done, there's still some resemblance of the image of God in in mankind. It's a beautiful thing to know. They, they must be converted though, so they can be an image of Christ. But this is what the satanic realm does. They want to disfigure the image of God. They want to destroy the image of God. And really, we, we battle not against flesh and blood. We battle against these kind of powers in this world. And I'm not saying we have run into this kind of thing. You may not have ever even seen this kind of thing. It can happen. They were running rampant at that time. This is real. We know that Satan definitely works best when he's subtle and does things in a civic manner. Highly reputable. He is an angel of light, is he not? Here, at this time, he, the demons really didn't have to do that. They could just outwardly come in and just take over somebody. And, and that's what happens here. But... Uh, the best way that he works is when he disguises those times. But he's Satan can be very active in possessing people, unbelieving realm, and that's that's really the control in this world that's happening. It's not ultimately it's really not our president, governors, congressmen. They might be doing the things that Satan wants them to do. All the leaders over the world, down through the ages, and really. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. We battle not against flesh and blood. That's what's going on, folks. Satan is alive and well on this planet. And he's doing the same kind of stuff now as he did back then. And so we get the uh, the problem here right at the end of verse 18 in Mark. Told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. They couldn't do it. That's the problem. They can't do it. Luke, remember, says he begged them. He begged the disciples. They couldn't do it. Now this is it's a strange thing because if you turn back to Mark chapter three, verse fourteen. Jesus selects the twelve now officially, the band of the twelve apostles, and he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and have authority to cast out the demons. That's how rampant it was. The authority to preach, the authority to cast out demons. Let's go a little bit further. Turn to Mark 6. Let's see it in action. Mark 6, verse 13. Mark is a gospel of action, isn't it? So we see it happen. They were cast, and this, take my word for it, this is the 12. <laughs> you want to back up a little bit? Verse 7, I'll say that. They were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. They were given that authority to do, to preach, to cast out demons, heal the sick. So they were doing it. They had done it. And here they can't. Power had been delegated to them. The problem is, 
We know. They didn't believe. Now, they have some belief. It's not that they're unbelievers, but the kind of belief that we're talking about is that they're impotent in this opposition to Satan. Some of the other demons were maybe a little, not quite as strong and powerful as this particular demon. Maybe, maybe not. There's one problem, though. They're not counting on Christ here. We'll get into that. Let's, let's look at this diagnosis now. We've seen the problem, right? They can't do it. They really wanted to. And we'll pick it up in 9.19. After He told Jesus this, He answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring Him to me. How long do I have to put up with this? I think for one thing, it can be several things that he says, oh, unbelieving generation. And that could be a passage that we're going to look at here in a moment out of the Old Testament. Almost a quote out of there. He looks at this sin-infested world. He's come down from the mountain. Sinful. Got a whole crowd there. Basically, the crowd wants a show. They want something done for themselves. Basically, that's what the whole deal is. Here you have those scribes and the religious leaders. They're over there. They're unbelieving and perverse and wicked. You have this father here. And he has some belief, but it's really weak. Yeah, you know, we'll see that in a moment. The disciples. Is he speaking to the disciples here? When he gives this quote, Oh, unbelieving generation. I think they are really the main target. Because we're going to see, well, at the end of this today, from 30 through 32, they still don't get the death burial. They don't get the gospel. (laughs) They don't get it. And they don't understand the power of God. And they don't understand prayer, faith. They're weak. They're so weak. We would have been too. And we are too. We're impotent in opposition to Satan and their ministry. This broken world that we're in. But we do have the power of God. The diagnosis starts off with O. One letter word. And that says a lot. He could have just stopped there. You know, we've seen him where he's sighed before. This word is dealing with deep emotions. This one little, one letter word that we have in English. We can get this. Deep emotions. He is disappointed in the disciples. The lack of power which they had been authorized to do. Their problem was not because they didn't try. And they actually probably had faith in their faith. 
And the Bible never tells us to have faith in our faith. I just believe hard enough. <laughs> Man, have you ever tried that? I used to try that all the time. I just believe hard enough. This toothache can go away. That's not the kind of faith we're talking about at all. Jesus explains what kind of... We're talking about faith in God. Not if I believe hard enough. They believed in the process. They're trying to believe hard enough and it's not happening. Oh, they've got to work this up. See, they were believing in themselves. If I can just work up my own faith, this man can be well. Right? No, no, no. That's the problem. They were not resting their faith in Him. They'd done it so many times before. Just kind of forgot. And now they're doing it on their own. Simple as that. Go back to Deuteronomy 32 and you can see where this uh, resembles the time of Moses. We go back to the law. Jesus quotes from the law before. Jesus quotes a lot of Scripture, doesn't He? This is uh, the song of Moses. It's about the nation of Israel. They have acted corruptly toward Him. They are not His children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. That is the children of Israel. God's people that He had chosen to work through. And Moses writes this song and says that they had acted corruptly. It gives us a little bit of a history there in that chapter. Don't have time to go over the whole thing. I'm sorry, but it's an indictment on the nation of Israel. You're a perverse and crooked generation. And so in our Mark, we get that same thought, don't we? In uh, Back in Deuteronomy 32, it says, then He said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end shall be, for they are a perverse generation, sons in whom there is no faithfulness. didn't remain faithful. They didn't really trust in God. They were un- and in Hebrews chapter 3, they were unbelieving after they had seen all the things that God had done for them, the manna, the deliverance, the, you know, the, the, the ten plagues, the water He gave them, they never, all the time they were in the desert, their shoes never wore out. I mean, He just kept providing cloud by day, fire by night. They saw things. They experienced things. See, the, the physical doesn't always mean that you are really deep spiritual now. Right? matter of fact, it can be very condemning because they were wicked and perverse. They were crooked. Moses let them know about it and Jesus says something of the same nature. I mean, this is a serious indictment. It was easy to believe in Jesus when He was there. Do you know that they have been with Jesus almost the whole time in this ministry? And when they went out in the 70 and such, you know, they did things and they were confident then. Jesus left them alone. He knew what was going on down there. He left them alone. Guess what happens? Jesus is not there. Now they forgot to contact with Jesus by faith, by prayer. And what you have here is a perverted generation. Like the rest of this generation. Will you ever learn... <laughs> Peter 
has already made a great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And within moments, Jesus. after that, Jesus says, you've got the revelation from God. You alone can't do that. You can't do anything. It's all from God. Everything is from God, isn't it? Everything. We depend on Him for everything. And then Peter starts saying, and then he goes back to the flesh. And he says, no, no, you don't have to die. Thank the Lord Peter wasn't right. We would never be forgiven. Peter would never have been forgiven. No Christians would have ever. We wouldn't be Christians. <laughs> that had to happen. Don't Can't you learn? And at the end of this, after this faith message, they still don't get it. Now, O oh ye of little faith, he says elsewhere. And I'm thinking, he's got to be thinking, that fellowship that he had up there with Moses and Elijah... What a stark contrast to come back down here and now experience this. How shall I keep putting up with you? You know what? I think he says this to the church today. I think he can say it to us. Are you thankful for his grace and his mercy? Man, every time you need to constantly go to him and be thanking him for that. These are fitting words. Listen, they were well equipped. That authority. The church today is well equipped. The church today is rich. The church today is really should be well instructed. It has any kind of material it wants to get to at any time. At the fingertips, we can go right on the Internet and boom, boom, we can get great teaching from great teachers all over the world. At any time we want, radio, books galore. By the way, we have a few of those books back there. A lot of them from the Puritan realm. Some of you never read them. If you get a chance, do it. You can read it. They're very readable. It's not over our heads. Uh, we have materials, things that are very helpful, but we're so powerless. With all the stuff we have, we're so powerless. They had Jesus right with them, but when He was gone for just a little while, they kind of forgot. So, we have to see this diagnosis. Listen to what Jesus says. He still says it today, doesn't He? Like He said to them, and even I think even the disciples, He's saying this, and you know they're unbelieving. This man is that way too, to a degree, but we don't want to knock him down too much because we'll see the power through faith here, starting at verse 20, 20 through 27. They brought the boy to Him. We saw Him immediately threw him into convulsion, falling to the ground. He began rolling around, foaming at the mouth. He asked his father, Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It is often thrown him both into the fire and in the water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, if you can do anything, if you can do any, if you can take pity on us and help us, I don't know, if you can, please. Jesus said to him, if you can, things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Do you guys agree with that? I mean, can you identify with that? I can. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that, 
A crowd was rapidly gathering. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out, the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. This is power. And this man knows that Jesus has the power. He knows that he has the power. But then he says, if you can. At this point, the man is going to get what he wants. And the demon is going to get something he didn't want because Jesus is in the midst. When Jesus shows up there, they know that their time is short for that moment. Face to face, right here. Uh, this is really dramatic. And it's so often, uh, this is the way it is with me, sometimes I can just kind of scan over a passage and say, okay, I know about that. But you start looking at this, and if, if you were that boy's father, and you think about your own son or daughter being treated in this way, this thing happening, you can't do anything about it. Where do you turn? Right? So he went to the only one that he could. So we have to commend him for doing that, right? And he knew some things about Jesus and what he could do. So anyway, the, the trauma, the smashing to the ground. And Jesus asked a question. Now it's interesting that Jesus would ask a question. Jesus knows all things. But there's a reason why he asked this question. And he asked his father, asked his son's father, how long has this been happening to him? It's just like he gets right on a real level, a human level that really cares. And what you see here is compassion of Jesus. You just say, okay, bring him here, you know, you know and then that's it. All right, he starts talking to the father. He could have done it right there. You know, he could have done what he's going to do. He says, how long has this been going on? Is he trying to get information? No, he wants to show this man that he really has a concern. Jesus cares about the sufferings. Jesus cares about pain, struggles. You guys have those. And we sometimes think, oh, well, you know, he's got other things to do. He doesn't care about this little deal. Oh, yes, he does. He cares about every detail, doesn't he? And, of course, on our last Wednesday night study, we, we looked at what John Flavel said about providence, which means God is in on everything. He does care. Isn't that good to know? Father says that since childhood, how painful that must have been, not only to the son, but to think of the father. Demons would love to have killed him and made this happen a long time ago. God wasn't going to let that happen. And for whatever reason, for this moment, at this time, this is when Jesus, God, chose to do this miraculous thing. Could have done it earlier. Could have been other times. He could have kept it from happening. He kept him from being killed. But at this time, He's going to get glory, just like the blind man in John chapter 9. Born from birth so that people would give... Jesus the glory when they saw Him do that. 
That's hard to fathom. But that's God's call. I think it's amazing that He would even save anybody and even heal anybody. Why would He even do that, right? When we start understanding how sinful we are, and He calls this generation, what? Unbelieving. I think, as the man says, if you can do anything, I think he's not saying, will you? Your will. I think he's convinced of, of the will of Jesus. Yeah, I think it's his will that this happens, but because of the conversation here, I think he's saying, I'm not sure about if you can. Do you get that? I think you'd like to. I think you'd really like the disciples to try it. And I know you're more powerful and I know that you're the only one. I'm coming to you for this. And I'm not so sure if you can, if you have that kind of power. Earlier in Mark, we've we've seen, uh, you know, I guess the question was, since you can, will you? (laughs) Recognizing its power, will you do that? Here it is, since you will, can you take pity? And that's that word, splanknizomai. Splankna. Deep into the deep recesses, the bowels, the emotions of Him. Have pity. Have it deep down. Have compassion on Him. That's what the man's asking. The feelings. Do you feel deeply? I want you to feel deeply inside. Jesus does. Take pity. Show mercy. While the sun is rolling around, foaming at the mouth, screaming over all this crowd and everything that's happening, and you know what the demon is doing. (laughs) And, And Jesus said to him. If you can, (laughs) do you know who I really am? All things are possible to him who believes. And another one we get, if you have faith that this mountain can be moved, it can do it. Now, he's not literally talking about a mountain because I always said on the other side of the mountain, there might be somebody praying that the mountain be moved this way where they get more land, you know. Mountain. He's not talking about the physical mountain. I mean, if God wants to do that, He can. But that really wouldn't be His will. And Jesus was not here to put on shows for people. He could have, boom, you know, a mountain be moving and there's a stream that comes. I mean, He could have done all that. He didn't do that. He didn't do shows to appease the people. He did it whenever there were necessary things, but that He would get glory, that they would see that His Word is true. That's what He did, why He did it. And so this is happening and all things are possible to Him. Please. If you believe in that this is the will of God, if you're convinced because of the Word of God and it is His will, pray for that. That's all things. There's nothing impossible with God. Even the things that seem the most impossible to us, it's not impossible. That's the idea. It's not talking about going around doing just crazy things just to show, hey, look at the power I've got. Because He's not going to do that to us anyway. He's not going to appease that. But it must be His will. Immediately, the boy's father cried out. You notice that? Did you catch that word there? He, does, he just doesn't say, I do believe, help my unbelief. 
where nobody else would hear it. He cries it out. That's noisy. He's shouting. He's crying. He really puts forth... And he, you know, I'm not going to do it over the microphone here. I'll save your ears. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Please. He had a weak statement of faith. And now he comes along with this. I like that. He had kind of been doubting the ability of Christ. Kind of doubting His power if... We often fail to believe the promises of God that are right here in the Word of God. We often forget about that because of the overwhelming things that are happening with us at the moment. We see the honesty of this man. His faith was trembling. I think this is one of the great responses in all of Scripture as Jesus asked a question. His faith is imperfect, but it's real. I believe in your power, but I, I have a lot of doubt. I admit it. Is that enough? Yeah. I believe in your power. I know you can do it. There's something in me that still has a little bit of, bit of doubt. I confess it. Okay. Remember, the sun is rolling around. His sun is on, on, on the dirt. It's foaming at the mouth. He's screaming, right? Here's what Jesus does. Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering. We need to get this done now. He's not there for the show. All bigger crowds, people are really starting to come around. And this is not what He's there for, to show how many miracles He can do. So let's let's get this done now. Let's do it before we get all these people here. They're rapidly gathering. He rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. Uh, This particular demon is not going to make it easy. He's not going down without a fight. It's the way demons work anyway, don't they? We see what happens. We've read that a couple times. Convulsions. uh, Concussions. Who knows how many concussions? They say football players, after they've had three concussions, they need to retire. Quarterbacks, concussions, serious things, can mess you up for the rest of your life. If you get one of them, they can really mess with you. This boy, who knows how many concussions he probably had had. All the cuts all over him. He's a mangled mess. And he's always that way. It's amazing that he was still living, isn't it? And we see, as he looks like he's dead now, as he's stretched out there, stiff as a board, then Jesus takes him by the hand, raises him up. He got up, I think in one of the uh, other Gospels, he gives him back to the Father. Tender, compassion, Jesus. Tender and compassionate taking that demon out of there. How strong he is and then how gentle also. And then we get into verse 28 and 29. A day, that gathering is now over. He came into the house. His disciples began questioning him privately. Why couldn't we drive it out? 
And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. They realized they were supposed to do it, but they couldn't. So they questioned him privately. We couldn't drive him out. We did it back in chapter 6. <laughs> we did that. Remember when you sent us out two by two? We've done this. You will never be able to command on your own. You're going to have to depend on me, Jesus is saying. What's he saying? They weren't depending on him. So what were they depending on? Themselves. They'd done it before. And they and this particular demon was probably a really difficult one. And that's the way it was supposed to be. There was a lesson here to be learned. They weren't trusting but anything in their own power. Their flesh. Prayer is the highway that takes faith into the power of God. They hadn't prepared themselves. Of course, in one of the other ones it says fasting. And there's a powerful enemy out there and who are you to take them on? You can't. It's only God that can. But the prayer is the highway that takes faith into the power of God. And that's what he's really trying to get out. Um, they obviously tried, really wanted this to be done. So much success in the past. It's a simple lesson how to access the very power of God on behalf of the things that God wills. That's what we want. We never want to pray something that's not His will. If it be in Your will, Lord. Sometimes we're not sure. But I only want You to do that, Lord, if it's in Your will. Do what You may, but I pray that this is Your will. Anything that exalts the Son, the Kingdom, that's our motivation for this as we pray, right? God's will, that He be glorified. Well, no, that I get some things answered in my life that I can be taken care of. Well, that's, that's a byproduct. That's good. Yes, we, we do want to pray about ourselves. But that God would be glorified. Remember, everything starts with God, even our own pains and our struggles, our needs. We don't start with our needs. We start with Him. He's a high, holy God. I'm coming to You, Lord. I'm coming to You how great You are. And then when we get that focus and then we start interceding for others, for ourselves, and you know what? The Lord never expects you to be some great person of faith. He doesn't expect you to be George Mueller because you're not. I'm not George Mueller. I'll tell you what, I'd sure like to have the faith that he had. Be careful what you say. <laughs> there are certain ones who are granted an extra step of that, but I will tell you, they will be tested. The tests are good. I definitely showed and thanked the Lord for people like George Mueller. People who have had an inordinate amount where there's like a gift, a special gift of believing God beyond what uh, uh, a regular Christian, what's a regular Christian? (laughs) How much faith do we need then, Dennis? What's the deal? What do we do? Like I say, the Lord is not expecting you to be some great person of faith where they write a book about you. A magnificent faith, and we have a lot of books about those kind of guys. And let me tell you, you see some of the things that happen to them as they 
Um, of course, they lost children. Some of them lost nine kids. Some of them 14 kids. All their kids but one. All their kids. So that's some of the most precious, right? Our own kids, our own family. lost their wives and lives. But each one, they just only trusted the Lord. And next time, they might get challenged even more. It's an all-pervasive faith. And all that it takes is the faith of a mustard seed. One of the other Gospels, that's what it says. Because that's all you need. And what happens with that mustard seed? We know that we grow in our grace and knowledge. The faith may seem to come and go, but it's there. And because of things we go through, there is growth in us. And as far as the Father is concerned here, this time it was he needed to believe. All things are possible to him who believes. But the man believed. Right? But it's he's still dependent and trusting. Faith through prayer. Right? We're not learning here. The message wasn't how to learn how to cast out demons. The message right here on this particular element is believing God. No matter what situation you're in and you don't see it. And you don't see the answer even happening like it did here. And you say, well, then God's not listening to me. No, no, no. We live by faith and not by sight. You you just ask a prayer in God's will. He's going to answer it. But He never tells us when it's going to be done. That's our biggest deal. We believe God. We trust in God. We He's even helped us with our unbelief. But what happens? Because something doesn't be answered, then we're saying, well, He just didn't want to do it. You don't know. It might be years later. It might be next week. It might be tomorrow. It might be right now. But it's all for good, for His glory. We're not going to go around changing the earth's surface. We're not going to go around moving mountains, are we? Moving rivers and streams. He says, all I want you to do is believe Me. Believe My Word. Believe Me. I'll get you through all this. That's trusting in God. I think this is an incredible lesson for those who live by faith. And we're going to close this down from 30 through 32. Starting to go through Galilee now. We're going boiling down to the very last few months. Very short time. And He's telling them again, the Son of Man is to be delivered in the hands of men. They will kill Him. When He's been killed, He'll rise three days later. And we have that all-famous verse right after that. But they did not understand this statement and they were afraid to ask Him. Because <laughs> they know He's just said that we're an unbelieving generation. I'm not touching this, but I don't get it. Well, neither would we. Had it not been revealed to us, we get to look back at the cross. Folks, that's where you put your focus. Put your attention on the cross. That's where everything is based from. What He did for us. Believe it. Father, we thank You. We praise You for Your glory in something we've just seen. From the transfiguration down to this 
terrible, horrible thing that was happening to a young man. And you taught so many people the matter of faith. Not only did it affect this boy and the father, but there are other people that just got a glimpse of God's glory. Not a transfiguration glory, but something that you do every day and something that's even more than a miracle or any kind of deliverance is your providence because your hand is weaving, putting together the pattern in every little stitch with that piece of yarn and fabric and you are making a beautiful display of what you have already ordained. And we are part of this. Thank you, Grand Weaver, Lord our God. May you be glorified. In your son's name, amen.